it starts with courage and it makes you a confident person who can take risks and try new things and it was a similar experience when i tried skydiving for the first time or when i tried shooting for the first time i was super scared i thought i would die the day i was skydiving but once i took the one step it was all amazing and one of the best experiences of my life Hello and welcome to Extend Freedom podcast. On this episode, we are going to talk with Smirti, head of artificial intelligence at Ars Bank, about AI, her work with computational neuroscience, AI's role in the field of healthcare, and how she got into AI and tech. And I am Sade. And I am Daphna. And hi, I'm Smirti. Welcome to our podcast. Super. glad to be here city and datma so i'd like to ask you what what got you into ai and then the tech industry and then what fascinates you most about ai yeah so um since i was young i was like into the game of chess and i always used to wonder why uh, the computer could beat us like so easily at chess right and also uh, since i remember there were two things i was i was extremely fascinated about one was the human brain and the next was the northern lights so um basically when i like the entire aspect or concept of human brain used to uh, you know like be like a puzzle to me i used to wonder uh, like an analogy i used to um, consider it a 3 cross 3 rubik's cube and during my undergraduate i heard that neural networks are inspired by human brain and i was like i really have to explore this so um i went to the class and then i was like yay this is interesting and uh, basically the types of learnings in the machine learning that are inspired by a uh, human brain or human in general is what inspired me or is what got me into tech and uh, what fascinates me the most about it is that every day there's a new development um in ai like it changes so quickly and it's so important to keep learning and to keep yourself up to date and i love learning and i love ai and the potential it has to develop so many things and to understand the human brain or the neuroscience field better also using ai we can produce like several tools to come up with connections or theoretical principles that will help us to, you know like the complexity of the brain a lot better since there are like 86 billion neurons in our brain which makes it like extremely complex also on a more logical level ai can help us visualize the different patterns in the brain and try to find the underlying reason for the difference in patterns which will help us better understand the brain and the mental health disorders is what fascinates me the most about ai can you share a little bit about the the career path that you've had so far i currently work as the head of ai at earthbank and i absolutely love my work so basically to give an overview earthbank is a climate fintech and a space tech firm that enables individuals and organizations both to offset their carbon footprint 
and we use satellite driven metrics to make better financial and climate mitigation decisions. Our mission is to make it easy for small landholders to get incentives for the carbon they offset and to serve the community and mitigate against climate change. Our vision is for the global economy and the banking finance to, system to shift towards 100% green, enabling transition which would be like fully regenerative economy. My roles in particular include um, AI algorithms for remote sensing, for verification of carbon sequestration, like the monitoring, remote reporting, and verification. I work with data collection using GIS, which is geographical uh, information systems, and we in particular use QGIS. And uh, I also work with data processing and building and testing of predictive models using AI algorithms. What I aim to do as a person involved in AI in climate change is we have created incentives in the past to so that the carbon is emitted towards the environment, like up in the environment. And now we have to create some incentives that uh, help us put it back inside the ground where it used to belong. And initially with the manual verification and reporting technique of carbon, 50% of the landholders who have land smaller than 1,500 acres, they were not eligible for the carbon verification. And with using AI and remote sensing, we can do, I think, even smaller than 250 square meters. So that would be like 0.6 acres, if I'm not wrong, which is a huge difference. And since our process is cheaper, because we don't have to fly a team in and all that. So the revenue we generate, we share it 50-50 with the community. Because the people who are in the most crucial state and who are the worst hit by climate change are the people who are in the best position to restore it. So I currently worked on, with my team, of course, on forest MRV, uh, where we, we can calculate trees with like a very high accuracy. And uh, we can calculate the amount of carbon that's been sequestered. You know, like we can then calculate the amount of credits for it. I mostly work with deep learning and uh, I use convolutional neural networks uh, to train my model and I used UNet training which was like basically a pre-trained model and I do all the coding in Python that's the only language I know I think <laughs> so yeah so that would be a little about what I'm doing at the moment how many people do you have in your team so um, I have like four people in my team and there's like one or two people who keep coming and going and I mean that's a pretty senior position so I'm just curious how what have you done before it like what did you study how did you get to to do that I studied electronics and communication during my undergraduate and I specialized in signal processing so I studied uh, neural networks machine learning advanced machine learning pattern recognition, image processing, speech processing, advanced digital image processing, all that, uh, all those courses. I was involved in um, launching one of the first satellites, all student satellites that India launched. It was launched with the help of the Indian Space Research Organization. Later, I was involved in writing, co-authoring a paper about it. 
about our findings and how we can make it better so that we launch when we launch another satellite we don't have the same issues that we had in the first one i mostly worked on the attitude development and control systems there which means that once you launch the satellite it's initially like super unstable so you stabilize it i worked on the coding part of it which was mostly in c the paper got accepted and i got a chance to present it in germany in bremen during the international astronautical federation in 2018 at that time i had a friend in eth zurich and i visited him also when i was doing my solo trip across europe i attended the lectures and i really liked the way it was taught there as opposed to like a more theoretical way as i was learning in india so i wanted to do my thesis in either eth to zurich or kth stockholm i applied and then i don't think i slept for a week then but yeah so basically i applied and everyone was like you don't have time uh it's too late it was like i think close to end of november and i wanted to start my thesis in january but then i just thought that i should give it a try right and uh, then i got this offer from dr paul herman who is a associate professor in the division of computational science and technology at kth and he primarily works on computational neuroscience so again like i loved everything about the brain and it puzzled me to the most extent possible so i was like yes i want to do it and then i started working with him and i worked with i did my bachelor thesis there and later uh, i went to india to complete my undergrad like i had one subject left for my undergrad so i did that during the summer and then i came back to sweden and continued the research for 10 more months so almost one and a half years i worked on it and if you want i can give you a brief overview of what my research was it yes. is super interesting yeah basically i studied how we process thoughts in the brain and why we lose memory i studied uh, and analyzed overlapping sequences in the brain the algorithm we used was bayesian uh, confidence propagation neural network and sequence learning so the bcpnn uh, the bayesian confidence propagation neural network algorithm it's based on hebbian learning and uh, obviously bayesian learning and it was in a non spiking attractor neural network which means that i did not work with the real biological conditions but more in an abstract condition attractor network is basically a network of uh nodes that is like mostly neurons in a biological condition which are often re- recurrently connected and they have some dynamics which settle down to a stable pattern in the end and non spiking means that obviously i did the project in the abstract settings and there is there could be a, another possibility where i do a spiking attractor network which would be more biologically plausible but then it involves a lot of knowledge of neuroscience itself i did not have enough time to acquire that knowledge and also do my thesis so i analyzed the behavior of non orthogonal sequences as well as implemented representation and sequential overlapping of the bcpnn model 
this could be used to study why people suffer through amnesia or dementia because we lose pattern uh, we lose memory for a certain amount of time when some different types of signals overlap so for that particular duration your brain doesn't know where to go and it gets confused the signals and that's when we lose memory for a very short amount of time in my work i worked on sequence recall and we were able to show that the uh, network is successfully able to recall the uh, patterns and we presented that the proposed network will be able to encode and reproduce uh, the temporal aspects of the input and it offers internal control of the real dynamics uh, by the gain by gain modulation for this we used recurrent neural networks uh, for the whole purpose and obviously a back propagation algorithm we used rnns because they have memory and they could recall the last sequence we fed to the rnns were designed to recognize uh, the data's sequential characteristics and use patterns to predict the next likely scenario and they could remember things about the input they received which allowed them to precisely predict what's coming next which is a lot more like a human brain so that's the reason so i have mostly worked with deep learning rnns cnns like all those sort of stuff so yeah so rnn is that a type of a chip or what is it exactly rnn is a type of uh, neural network so where uh-huh, okay. the connections between the node uh, form like a graph in along the temporal sequence so it's basically used to exhibit the temporal dynamic behavior which is very similar to our brains cool so so what does it mean does it mean that people who lose some memory uh, might be able to restore it um so at the moment the research was done only in a non spiking environment which so basically we use hypercolumns to analyze it and uh, hypercolumns is basically like a collection of neurons imagine a cylindrical pipe and it has some patterns on it so and then you have like different hypercolumns and the patterns that match they form a connection with each other so that's how it works like that's the overall idea so if i work with a non spiking connection or a non spiking network uh, i do not have anything inside my hypercolumn and i just imagine one hypercolumn to be like an individual system but when we work with spiking we have like 30 different neurons inside one hypercolumn which makes it a lot more complex by my research theoretically it was more into understanding why it happens as opposed to how we can uh, fix it because i didn't have enough time and maybe it's a lot more difficult as well so and but i know there are people who are working on spiking uh, kth along with birmingham university i think they are working on spiking connections and they would probably know a lot more about it but i think it should ideally be restorable with a lot of research and uh, a lot more understanding of the human brain which also requires a lot of neuroscientists and ai researchers to collaborate with each other and to a lot more comprehensive research in my opinion 
So the company you are working with, do you work with neuroscience now or? No, I don't. I work yeah. uh, there, I work with climate change, but then I, since my heart lies in healthcare or neuroscience, I also work part-time in another company called Catalyson, which is also based in Stockholm. And there I work on a shoulder arthroplasty case where we use minimal amount of data from patients who have been operated on earlier. We basically use, like, try to use the minimum data possible, such as their age, uh, if they're smokers or non-smokers, if the injuries on the dominant hand or on the non-dominant hand, the tear size of the tendons, etc. And we're using 11 conditions at 11 parameters at the moment for it which is pretty less so we aim to develop a system which can detect the red flags uh, when it comes to operating a person so there are two different things in healthcare one is mcid and the other one is scb so mcid is minimally clinical important difference and SCB is substantial critical benefits. And especially in the case of shoulder arthroplasty, to be specific, uh, you measure SANE score. So SANE score is measured by asking a few questions to the patient before and after the surgery. So you have a pre-operative SANE score and then you have a suppose six-month SANE score or a one-year SANE score. Before the operation, a doctor would ask you certain questions like, how do you feel in the injured uh, shoulder as opposed to the normal shoulder? And one more question, which I'm forgetting right now, but yeah. So based on these two questions, uh, they give you a same score out of 100. And the closer to 100, the better it is. MCD, M MCID for shoulder arthroplasty is 17 or 16.9. And SCB is 28.5, I think or it might be a different figure. But yeah, I think it's around 28.5. So basically, these are two constant figures. And if you have a pre-operator same score of 17, and then you have a post-operator same score of uh, 20, then basically you should not be operated because you're not even, like you didn't even gain the minimum amount of benefit that you should have. So basically the idea is that you should operate only if you at least could achieve the minimal difference. So using that, we are developing this model which could help doctors predict if the operation should be performed or not. I'm again using CNNs for it. And uh, it has like several layers and uh, like it involves predicting the same score and then predicting MCI, calculating if MCID is achieved or not. We are basically trying to tag the red flags where you should not perform an operation to save money for the government. It's basically a Swiss project to save money for the Switzerland government. It's uh, fun to work with healthcare. And it's also, yeah. I mean, there is benefit for the patients. Exactly. Unfortunately, in some cases, uh, things cannot get better. And instead of going through all the pain and not feeling any better, it's maybe better to know when to operate or not. Yeah, I think it's a very noble and a good cause. And, you know, it could be eventually applied to knees and other joints like that. 
So it would be interesting. It seems like most of the things are still in the research level, or is it me perceiving it like that? Because in general, how do you see AI's role in the healthcare? And then are, are they still still using in real life, or are they still in the research level? I think a lot of things are being used, but they could be better in general. We see smart devices are like everywhere, and they offer real-time results. In the medical field, we have smart devices which are critical for monitoring patients and ICUs. And using artificial intelligence basically can enhance the ability to identify deterioration, such as uh, when a sepsis is taking hold, or sense of development or complications can significantly improve outcomes and may reduce the costs related to the health acquired condition penalties so there are some things that's going on and uh, there are some things that's in the research phase or even if it's it's out it's like a beta version and it could be developed even more there's like a huge advancement i think that's been made in the image analysis uh, in the healthcare department so basically um, like an mit team they led a research and they developed a machine learning algorithm that can analyze 3D scans up to 1,000 times faster than what is possible by humans today. It's almost close to real-time assessment, and it can provide critical outputs to the surgeons who are operating. And it also probably, uh, AI could also help improve the next generation of the radiology tools, which do not rely on tissue samples anymore. Yeah, I would say that it's there, but it, it's also evolving a lot, like at a very fast rate. Can you give us one example that, uh, that you think that AI has done great work in the healthcare? Like these are like so fascinating, the one you say that like that? Yeah, so I actually had a friend who was working at CMU. He was working on detecting when a baby is inside the womb. So he was checking or monitoring the health of the baby. And especially if the baby has some eye problems, this was an extremely important and extremely unique and uh, successful project that they worked on. And I don't know like a lot about the project that they did, but he was working at CMU and they were filing a patent uh, for the project that they did. So it was most probably a successful project. So they were like checking the cornea of the babies inside the womb, like to be specific. And if they have any issues with it, like obviously monitoring the general health. And this was done using a lot of image processing and machine learning algorithms. I remember seeing his research and there were like several images of the eye. He showed me the good sample and the bad sample and everything. So it was pretty interesting. And also the research that MIT team worked on, on 3D scans. And now we also see like a lot of uh, advanced tools using AI in a lot of different fields in healthcare which basically help faster diagnosis and more accurate diagnosis and analyze data to identify the trend or the genetic information that can link to some other disease than it actually looks like. 
finding the underlying causes of the disease and uh, understanding the genetics more but like better also deep mind they work with a lot of interesting applications when it comes to genetics and understanding human genes so there are a lot of examples like that but i think that you know like in general healthcare is evolving very fast with the help of ai and the future would probably be really good also crown which you can wear on your head and uh, it lets you help with medical mental health issues and anxiety etc so there are a few good really good examples so let's talk more about mental health and ai you know it's something that you really care about yeah i definitely care a lot about mental health and i think and i've read it somewhere also like so some people have the same opinion and i'm not wrong here probably that ai obviously is very promising in the field of mental health and in understanding the complex um, health diseases even in transforming the mental health care so ai can be beneficial in predicting and classifying mental health disorders and it can also help subgroup them based on mood disorders anxiety disorders or if they are co-occurring for example if someone has depression which is a mood disorder anxiety disorder it's most likely to occur with a mood disorder which would be like anything like a bipolar disorder or a borderline personality issues so usually an anxiety disorder co-occurs with a mood disorder so it sort of makes it difficult to sometimes distinguish between the two because sometimes system symptoms overlap and also it could be different for different individuals and the reactions could be different to it i think ai can be of really good help there also they potentially could achieve high accuracy as you're developing more robust and advanced neuroscience ai techniques and tools and it will be possible to help mental health practitioners to even probably redefine the mental illnesses more objectively as done in the DSM-5 at the moment and identify these illnesses at a more earlier or pre-dormal stage when the interventions may be more effective and personalized treatments based on the individual's unique characteristics. Obviously, this needs to be done with a lot of caution as you know, like AI could go in the other direction. But yeah, with, if done with caution and obviously a lot of research, it can transform the current state of mental health disorder and I think also reduce the stigma around it. Thanks. So this uh, other direction that you mentioned, I know that uh, you also um, care a lot about ethics. and about biases in AI. And I would love to hear more yeah. about this. Yeah, definitely. So I think like when it comes to AI or everyone knows about the black box problem, like people who work in AI, they're well aware of it. If a random system blurts out anything to you, you would not believe it, right? So there needs to be transparency, accountability. And I think open source is very important. And for open source, I'm working currently with Airplane Alliance, uh, where I'm the content curator and engagement lead. So I like plan things out and stuff. But yeah, basically 
also if you talk about healthcare then transparency interpretability and accountability is even more important because the doctors and the patients need to know what's happening with them interpretability is super important because they need to obviously see the processes so it's difficult when you use algorithms like deep learning algorithms like cnns or rnns where you can't see what's happening but it's a lot easier when you use some interpretable algorithms like decision trees etc and yeah you rightly mentioned the biases in ai i recently came across the study like one of the major cause of bias that occurs in ai is having not sufficient training data to train the accurate, train the model on so i recently came across the study which was 99% accurate in detecting male faces but it did not work so well with women and the reason was that the 75% of the training data was used was of men's faces and 25% was women's faces so it shows us two things i think here one is that maybe the field is not so inclusive still for women and the other thing is that it would have been a lot better if more female faces were used for training and the more data you train the model on the better it performs inclusion is also a very big problem when it comes to technology in general as when you talk about the world only 25% of the world's females they work in tech and you also might be like well aware of it right that's a problem another thing would be privacy i think when it comes to ai so currently we have a lot of data and ai with the help of machine learning can predict some sensitive information about an individual which they might not be comfortable sharing right so most of the time the individual might like to keep this information anonymous such as their political views some people who are conscious about their sexual orientation and like their overall health records even such information can be easily identified using machine learning ai uh, from the data such as their activity logs uh, their google searches their uh, location data and other similar metrics also uh, several consumer alliances like this comes and goes in the news and uh, such as smart home devices etc they have features that make them likely to be exploited by ai while the customers are still unaverified and we have like this comes up like sometimes in the news that uh, google home recorded this alexa recorded this so yeah there could be some privacy issues as well with ethics and ai how do you when in the different uh, areas that you work with how do you make sure that it's going to be inclusive and and ethic for me i try to this is actually a really good thing that google came up with which is which was last june which was the transparency report they basically explain how they use the data etc so uh, when i work with it i try to you know like create a report which explains steps obviously when you're working with deep learning it's a lot more difficult to show it to people right there but i try to create like flow diagram on lucid chart or uh, a short write up like three four pages which with images which basically tells people what's happening when so that they have trust on the model that we built that's one thing that i like to follow and another thing is that relating it to how human brain works 
because deep learning is something that follows human brain the most and there, there are like 86 billion neurons as i also mentioned earlier and it can still be a little complex to comprehend so that's the reason that we can't really uh, see what's happening in each layer as we can't see how a brain really thinks it's obviously in a lot of layers basically uh, i try to do that uh, transparency which is is what i work on the most because i can't really do interpretability and i think open source will also help so at the moment we have applied for a provisional patent for the work that we are doing and once it's done we can put it out open source for other people also to see and understand what's happening which will build the trust and help with the ethics about inclusion so um, we have a few women in the team and we have people from i think seven eight countries in the team so our team is pretty well diverse i would say but when it comes to inclusion i'm the only person working in tech and uh, there's another person who leads the tech team she's into ux ui design and she but uh, so we are the two people who actually primarily work for tech but then i never faced any issues um, being a woman in tech which we discussed last time that a lot of women do in my opinion it's it's still a problem and having just 25% female in the world work on tech does not seem right to me so i think we need to act on it we need to do something we need to support other women who are working on it and uh, communities like the community that you have also developed and uh, some other there's women in ai women in tech and all that so these communities they um, help and also another way that we could in my opinion it's extremely important to make sure that we inspire young women who are interested in the tech industry and initiators like as i mentioned women in ai women in tech help a lot in my opinion as you can use them to recognize people who are interested in technology and support them and as a women we should try and help other women out who are struggling in a non inclusive environment and i think linkedin is also a beautiful platform to do that another issue obviously which you also probably would have faced is lack of role models in the field i think it's very important to work on that because having a role model could be extremely empowering and when you see that a woman has been through this and then still succeeded it gives you some sort of confidence in yourself or some energy to at least start and then another issue when it comes to inclusion which i have not faced but i've read about it a lot is gender uh, is gender pay gap so if a man and women do this the women do the same task they must be paid the same it's as simple as that i also i think it is a very crucial reason why a lot of women who even start in the tech industry they tend to leave it's not just about getting women in the tech industry it's also about you know getting them to stay these two things and obviously uh, the issues that only women face which is like maternity leave uh, discrimination due to age i have a connection on linkedin gabby and uh, she mentioned that she was discriminated a lot when she was applying for jobs at the age where she could bear kids 
this is just so horrible like it's a personal choice and it should not have to do anything with their professional life i'm happy that it's a lot better at the moment but it still has a long way to go yes i agree thank you for uh, sharing your thoughts about it recently there was a news about a google uh, researcher and that many people at google staff uh, signed an a letter backing her up about uh, her being fired uh, i think she sent an internal email to her team or inside uh, google about silencing marginalized voices uh, she's a, a lead researcher i think in the ai ethics she has been known in her research about artificial intelligence and her her criticism about facial recognition especially uh, the the fail to recognize black faces i guess the shows the involvement of people and more than involvement it also shows how you include people in it so i was actually giving a talk in the international women's day summit about comfort zone there was this other lady who spoke who gave a very nice example analogy of inclusion so it's like you have a team and you have 11 do we have 11 2 5 yeah you have an 11 footballers on the team so you build a team with people but inclusion is when you actually pass the ball to them so even if those people are there it's important to include them it's important to let them make the decisions it's important to give them the same amount of importance or same amount of a choices to be open to be to show their uh, research in open as they as other people have it's very important to not just have people in the team but to include them in everything it's a very very uh, like when i read about it i actually felt it super bad and then uh, a couple of other researchers walked out of it where does the transparency go and like we want transparency in ai and this is like the opposite of transparency in ai we need ai to be transparent we need ai to be open source we need ai to be ethical and we need it to be inclusive these are some very important points and she also mentioned sexual harassment and also obviously gender discrimination which is so bad like these two things have not much to do with actual ai but this is just a bad experience for a bad person of any gender even if a man is going through sexual harassment is equally bad but i just don't understand like google like google uh, got out this transparency report last year in june 2020 and then when another person who is actually leading the team she uh, decides to publish something google says that okay this is incorrect and we will just kick her out without any information so that's kind of weird like they should also always also uh, think should be a two way street in my opinion if google decides to just kick her out they should also let her put her perspectives and her opinions ahead that's also a very important factor when it comes to inclusion for anyone who we are talking about like let it be a person of color the lgbtq community or just a white male or a white female it's important for everyone yeah thank you 
you mentioned LinkedIn and I think what you're doing on LinkedIn is really interesting because you have such a strong brand on LinkedIn and I think that a lot of people don't know how to utilize this tool to be able to create network and to create some uh, professional advancement. So can you share a little bit how you think about working with LinkedIn and what you do there? I have to start from June of 2020. And so after my work was over at KTH, because you can work maximum for two years at KTH as a student. So I already had worked for one and a half years. So working for six more months was not feasible. I thought that I'll look for a job. And I started contacting people on LinkedIn who I found interesting. And a lot of them replied. Through that, I connected with a lot of people and went to Fika with them, went to lunch with them. There are some awesome people who I met. And I don't think if I hadn't, I think if I hadn't met them, I probably would not have been active on LinkedIn per se. These people, they helped me gain confidence. It used to be weird. So I'm like that sort of person that I'm scared before we start. And then once I'm in there, I'm like all in. I had very interesting meetings with people. And I realized the importance of networking. And even if I did not get anything out of it, it was just nice to have a good conversation with someone, right? It was always mutual. And we still talk like the people who I spoke to then. I can like once I referred someone to one of them and they were like, if you were referring, we know that the person would be good. So they just took the interview, uh, even though they were like at a very advanced stage in interviews and the person got the internship. So, you know, that's the talk- type of relationship I'm talking about that people trust on tr- people trust you. So I have built some network that I know that I can rely on. And you have to start small. Initially, people will might not, everyone might not reply, but that's okay. Because their time is also too valuable. And if they don't see that you're doing anything and out of nowhere, you go like, hey, I need a job. That's kind of weird for the other person also. So start with building a connection, a relationship, because it's not just related to one job, right? It could be a lot more than that when I was not feeling okay about my visa and everything I spoke to one of those people who I had uh, connected earlier and it just clicked in the first meeting and both of us really liked talking to each other and he's a very nice person you might have seen me mention him in, in a lot of my posts Farzad he's the CEO of Drift Sweria he's one of the best person you'll ever meet and very transparent and open about everything meeting with him and meeting with such people they inspired me to you know that I can go out and I can build connections I was still a little introverted when it came to talking to people I did not know that boosted my energy or confidence a lot but then it always comes back to courage and you have to take the first step yourself only then anyone else can help you again when it comes to LinkedIn it's important to be active and post your content if you want to build a personal brand or if you want people to know you or people to benefit from you. And if you don't have anything to post, that's also okay. 
uh, share your views and comments uh, comment actively and that also helps a lot of people know you and i would in fact suggest that first engage with people in comments if you are conscious about posting directly first engage yourself in comments then people will know you you will already have some people to back you up and then post something and you can also get some really good ideas from comments on to how to actually build a content that would be some tips for me anyone who messages me i make sure that i reply because i don't want them to go through what i went through with some people not replying and just ghosting you which is not good other than that i think it's pretty simple once you have it figured out like once you start it's pretty simple so it's just about starting and then you'll know your way out and it's different for different people that's what worked for me how did you choose the people to approach to try to connect with um in the beginning it was pretty random actually <laughs> i just saw that okay this person's working in ai in healthcare this it might be a good connection for me to have i can actually share a very interesting story with you so as i mentioned that i've been working part time with catalyst I approached Yakub and Peter. Peter was the CEO of uh, is the CEO of Catalyst and Yakub I forgot what he does but he's also there in Catalyst at a high position. So I had the first meeting and I didn't know that they were and he had some other introduction on his LinkedIn so I had no idea that they were both work for the same company. So I get some random message from Yakub that Peter asked me to approach you and talk to you and figure out if you would be a good fit blah blah so it's like yeah that's nice let's talk and i had such a good meeting with them with him first and then i spoke to his second colleague arnold who i closely work with right now on the shoulder arthroplasty case so arnold anderson he's like a wonderful person he has a phd in bioinformatics and he's also done mba like he knows so much about everything also he's like very open about uh, his how his life has been and everything and then i had a third interview with tobias from their team and then they were like uh, we really like you but we do not have any work at the moment where we think we can utilize your potential and the day we have any work we will come back to you and obviously when someone says this to you you assume that they're not going to come back right so this happened to me in june and in october end they were like hey smriti we have a project for you and i can't tell you how amazing it felt you know what i'm talking about but yeah it's it's such a nice experience that okay um i enjoyed all the interviews and after a point i knew that okay they do not have any project for me but still i enjoyed all the interviews a lot and i learned a lot from them and they were also curious about india visiting india etc so yeah it was nice and then when they came back with a project that was probably the best feeling it's like it's nice you know the trust that you create and the impression that you leave lasts a long time so it's always important to when you meet someone anyone it's always important to not be an asshole to them if i can use that word in the podcast so it's it's nice to be nice to people basically mhm thanks for sharing the story and all the great tips i think it's really it can be really useful to a lot of people i also want to talk about the fear of failure like and rejection when you are trying uh, new things and then stepping out of your comfort zone since you said you are not uh, 
explored, right? Yeah. So, I... What about yeah. that? To try new things, getting out of your comfort zone, those things. So yeah. So now I, I wouldn't exactly recognize myself as an uh, introvert anymore because I don't think I am. So I would say that I'm an introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert, like whatever suits the situation. But in general, uh, in school, I was a very introverted kid and I've never had any other social media other than LinkedIn. And initially LinkedIn also was too much for me because I was like, people, what do I do with them? But yeah, in school, I basically had like two to three friends who I used to hang out with and I did not know anyone. So if there's a person even one year senior to me, I'm like, who are you? <laughs> Which is kind of weird. And uh, yeah, comfort zone is just a psychological state of mind in which when things feel familiar to a person, they're at ease. And when things are out of their control, they feel stressed and anxious. So it's not a real thing. It's just something that's in your mind. That's what I like to believe in. And also, all of know, all of us know how life is. It's not always going to be according to your comfort zone. So it's very important to be resilient. So I usually like refer to a diagram that I explain comfort zones. So uh, the diagram has four zones, the comfort zone, the danger zone, the learning zone, and the growth zone. When you are leaving the comfort zone, fear is inevitable. Fear doesn't necessarily equate to being in the panic zone. It, and it's just a necessary step to learn and grow. Now comes the most important point, right? How do we overcome that fear? We have, we can have fear of failure, fear of rejection. I was always scared of fear of failure because I hadn't like failed at anything before. So I was very scared that I might fail and rejection because I mostly wasn't exposed to it. These were when, some things when you go out and you try something by yourself these things happen like it's pretty it happens to everyone everyone fails everyone gets rejected but when you are in a in your comfort zone you're not doing much you're not failing and you're not getting rejected at anything because you're just not doing anything the most important question right uh, how do we go from comfort zone to fear zone and the answer is very simple it's courage. I think courage is something that comes first. It's the secret ingredient that lets you act despite your fears. And it gives you the ability to put your fear aside and take the first few steps. And it helps you overcome the fear of rejection. It helps. It makes you attempt things that you haven't tried before. And confidence, which people often confuse between courage and confidence. So confidence is the outcome. It's what it takes courage to step from your comfort zone into the fear zone. It's very normal to be anxious while doing so, yet it is so rewarding in the end when you actually overcome your fears and you can, you're can at that stage when you can try something new, when you actually enter your learning zone. And this is where you learn skills, deal with new challenges, and this is where you gain confidence as an outcome of the results of the activities that you've done previously because of courage. So I like to put it in this way that for me, it begins with courage, continues with perseverance and ends with confidence. After a learning period, a new comfort zone is created and all your comfort zone is extended. And then when you're feeling, when you see yourself uh, setting new goals, having new small dreams, celebrating something like even a small achievement, you're in the growth zone. 
and there are some behavioral changes that will happen when you do so and it's very normal it's also very important to be self aware of those uh, behavioral changes that you'll go through because your brain is expanding and it's super malleable like your brain can basically fit anything i also would like to mention carol dweck's uh, mindset theory how you know like a shift in perspective can change a lot of things for a person when she did her research at stanford university she was an esteemed uh, psychologist and in 2008 she came out with this research about mindsets so there are basically two types of mindsets fixed mindset and growth mindset basically there are some people who think that whatever capabilities they're born with that's all that they can do and the people with growth mindset they think that that's the beginning and from there they can achieve anything they want which creates a love for learning a love for growing which is extremely important it starts with courage and it makes you a confident person who can take risks and try new things and it was a similar experience when i tried skydiving for the first time or when i tried shooting for the first time i was super scared i thought i would die the day i was skydiving but once i took the one step it was all amazing and one of the best experiences of my life great tips thank you yeah all right uh, i want to give you an opportunity to say whatever is in your mind for our listeners mainly if you like if newcomers want to join ai or who has interest to join in this industry in this field the tips that you want to give them how they can be involved with this thing how they can grow up and also how people can reach you out when they need help from you and then anything that you want to say thank you so my advice with the first thing is be yourself it's very important to do that people don't understand the value of being themselves and they try to copy someone else but then that's not something that's going to last for long to be yourself find your true passion if you're interested in tech there are like a million things in tech so invest some time and find what you are actually passionate about and once you do that you do not have to be intimidated by anything if you're passionate and curious you definitely will be successful and it's impossible to know everything in tech i don't know a lot of things and no one knows everything so it's just about the mindset that and the confidence that you can learn and you can figure it out and everything's changing at a very 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 fast rate it's important to have a learning attitude and it's important to as i mentioned there are a lot of opportunities in tech it's important to explore and find a niche skill and then you'll see an ocean of opportunities open in front of you whoever's listening to this a young man a young woman of cis gender or any gender like lgbt community gender fluid anyone whoever's listening to this it's the same for everyone it's very important to find your individuality and finding the niche skill that you really are interested in and do not ever hesitate to ask for what you think you deserve because sometimes you have to ask like other people won't know your problems so it's okay to share it with them as i mentioned learn new things every day tech is advancing at an extremely fast rate it's almost impossible to process a good tip for that could be joining study groups or communities uh, like women in ai women in tech in stockholm we have pi ladies stockholm and there are a lot more and so there are 
so many uh, such opportunities for people and ask for help anytime you need it everybody needs help at some point and it's completely all right no one's going to think otherwise especially if you knew a job and you're conscious about i couldn't learn this it's pretty normal and if you can in the end that's what matters seek positive figures and role models who inspire you to improve uh, your technical skills work life balance and it's extremely difficult due to pandemic now to actually have a clear distinction between work and life but you need to have it in order to avoid burnout i know people who did not do it and ended up in hospitals so it's very important to prioritize yourself and understand how much your body or mind could work have some time for yourself that's very important like have some me time have some family time do not ever ever underestimate your technical skills be confident no one knows all and you can always learn network with people connect with people and you never know you can be a role model for someone else like without even knowing if you find yourself alone you should communicate and uh, with someone you trust and if you find yourself like absolutely alone and you need any help from me please contact me via linkedin and i think i'll leave the details with daphna and siddi and contact me via linkedin that's where i'm the most active at the moment so yeah and i'll do all i can and i promise this i can if i can help i will if i can't i'll connect you with someone who will help you and this is something that i promise because i had some people who helped me i wish i had more people like that but i'm happy with what i got but i want to be that person for others out there i also want to thank uh, sidi and daphna for this opportunity and i'm extremely excited for this to come out and to collaborate further with you guys it's been so awesome amazing tips and amazing stories that you shared with us thank you so much i'm so happy that we've had this conversation thank you for taking the time to speak with us and share thank you so much